And as you're coming in, I guess you're seeing that our stage is a little bit uh, different than normal. And uh, that's because they're uh, creating something for our new series called Pirates, which will begin on Sunday. And you'll get to see what that's all about when you come back on Sunday for the first week of the Pirates series. So they wanted to cover that up so that nobody saw it till Sunday. All right. And they're not done yet either. Um, Hey, on a couple more serious notes, uh, just don't forget about the website, the, the Mind website's out there for your enjoyment and edification. Uh, we're putting out those different spiritual steps this year, and uh, we've got step number two up right now. We're also going to be putting some Bible study tools out there on the web, as well as having them available in our bookstore. Uh, speaking of our bookstore, don't forget about the Net Bible that you can purchase there, the study edition, the reader's edition, or the compact edition. Also, we told you last week, if you were here, that uh, we would give any of you an opportunity to express interest in going with us in the spring of 2009 to Israel. And uh, we have those uh, sign-up sheets here tonight. Now, before they're passed around, there is no obligation, all right? We're just trying to find out, even just right now in the mind, this is going to be open to everybody in the church, but we just want to find out in the mind right now, how many of you would be interested in going with us to Israel and probably also to Egypt in the spring of 2009, doing the footsteps of Jesus and the footsteps of Moses? It'll probably be about a 10 to 14 day trip. We do not have an exact date. We're looking at March or April of 2009, uh, and it's probably going to cost around $3,500 per person. All right? Uh, So anyway, these clipboards are going to be being passed around, and if you're interested at all, seriously interested in going with us, please sign up, and we'll get back with you on that. Okay? So this is the first pass. All right? We're going to do this again, but this is the first pass for that, all right? Also, uh, and I I realize this is sort of at the last moment and whatever, and I'm going to work on trying to come up with a better system, but we want to incorporate praying for people and praying for others and praying for needs, and we want to use the mine as a real power plant to be able to do that, and We don't know exactly how that's going to happen yet, and I realize I'm asking you all tonight to sort of just come up with it on your own, but if you have a particular prayer request or need that you would like us to pray for, uh, I tried to find some paper at the last minute, I couldn't. If you have an extra sheet of paper, uh, just write that prayer request, that need down, and just get it to us after the mine is over. And uh, we're going to figure out how to do that as well. Again, a little bit better next week. Speaking about prayer, I just want to throw this real request out to, to, to you all so that you can begin to pray. Uh, some of you may know a couple in our church named Earl and Bev Shalin. Uh, they just found out that their 18-year-old grandson has very serious life-threatening cancer. And uh, so if you would pray for the Shalin family and especially this 18-year-old grandson of theirs... Uh, they would greatly, greatly appreciate that. All right. We're going to have Seth and Phil come and lead us in worship tonight. But before we do, let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into the book of Ephesians a little bit later on. 
God, thank you so much for, again, the opportunity we have to be here tonight. Uh, Lord, we just want to experience your presence and your power here tonight. We have come to meet with you, or maybe a better way to say it is we've come for you to meet with us. And uh, Lord, we, we just want to open our hearts and our minds, our whole being up to you tonight and just have your spirit just completely take over. And so, Lord, take over this room, take over our being, take over this Bible study, take over this worship time. And Lord, may you just draw us to yourself tonight in a very special way. May we be refreshed and revived as we leave here tonight. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 tonight, uh, beginning at verse 11. But we're also going to be looking at a couple other passages tonight that really excite me. Uh, that, that go along with what we're going to be talking about tonight. So I'm just really excited to share this passage of Scripture with you tonight. And before we get into chapter 2, verse 11, again, let's remember that the book of Ephesians, the main theme is, if God were to define the church, what would that church look like? Uh, and that's really what the book of Ephesians is all about, looking at the church from God's perspective and through God's eyes. As he built the church, as he designed the church, here's what it should be about. And last week we ended off with verse 10 looking at the fact that we are corporately his workmanship. And we saw there where that word is really a word that's used to speak about a work of art that's being built by a master artist. And Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if we're going to be involved in what the Lord is building, then we need to be involved with the church, in the church, part of the church. And so Paul is saying at the end of chapter 2, verse 10, that because we are his workmanship, we as a church need to allow the master artist to work and to let God do his work in our lives as we are part of his church, his body and allowing him to speak through his spirit and through his word. And, and he also, in verse 10 of chapter 2, says, And we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And there's a couple different ways that can be interpreted. But I like to look at it that Jesus Christ has already laid down through his own good works the blueprint that we as the church need to follow in his steps. We don't need to make this up as we go along. We don't need to grope in the dark for what God wants the church to be about. That we have a great example, a great pattern, a great blueprint. His name is Jesus Christ and He's already given us this wonderful blueprint that we can follow. So then when we come to chapter 2 verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, Remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision that is performed on the body by human hands, that you were at that time without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Wow. A couple things. First of all, I think you can easily see there in this passage that the church in Ephesus was predominantly made up of Gentiles. That's pretty easy to ascertain. And yet there was a small element of Jews who were very pious, and they looked down their nose at the Gentiles, 
They were wrapped up in their own traditions and they got caught up in, notice, the things that were being performed, verse 11, by human hands. And they got caught up in the rituals of circumcision and things like that rather than the spiritual operation that God wants to do in our heart. And that anything external is just that. It's, it's an external maybe symbol of what God is doing on the inside, but the emphasis needs to be on the spiritual operation of God on the inside and not getting all caught up on these external rituals and rites. Now, as he starts off this too, you also see that God wants his people to be a people that doesn't dwell on their past, doesn't become discouraged about their past, doesn't live in the past, but does, verse 11, remember at times our past just to give us encouragement in the present. To remember where we were and where God brought us from and where He's brought us to. And God always wants His church to be filled with people that never forget how far we've come. And that's exactly what Paul's trying to remind these Gentile Christians of in the church at Ephesus. Remember where you were before Christ. Remember what you were without Christ so that you can truly appreciate now what you have in Christ. And, and the, the minute that we begin to forget where we were without Christ and who we were without Christ, we begin to not appreciate where we are now. So that's why he goes down through this passage of Scripture that way. And it he does paint, in verse 12, a pretty bleak picture. However, I do want to point this out in verse 12. He mentions a lot of the privileges that the covenant people of God, the Israelites, had. But let's also remember this. Did those privileges really benefit them in their relationship with God? For the most part, at this time, no. Yeah, they had all these privileges. They were the ones given the law they were the group of people that the Messiah, he was a Jew and all of that. But for a lot of them, they still missed it. So what that reminds me of is this, that I've got to remember that when God blesses me and gives me privileges, that there's also a corresponding responsibility and that God wants me to use the privileges and the blessings that he gives me to draw near to him. In fact, Paul makes a very interesting point. There's a lot of people who want to draw near to God, but notice you and I have no capacity to draw near to God on our own. We, Paul very eloquently says in verse 13, are brought near by the blood of Christ. If, if someone was asked me, I want to get near to God, how do I do it? I said, you allow God to bring you near by the blood. And you allow God to keep you and I near by the blood. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to forgive and, to, and it's also powerful enough to cleanse. So that even after I become a Christian, I can, can call upon the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me, to purify me, so that I can stay near to God. And so allow God tonight to bring us near to Him. And not try to get there on our own. And let's just say this. God wants to be working in a group of people who are near to Him. Not far away. We, we can't follow God from a distance. 
God wants to draw us to Himself and to draw us near and to have this intimate, personal relationship with us. And that comes through the blood of Jesus. You also notice here in this passage of Scripture that for our interpretation, that he's talking here about the hostility that exists at that time and can still exist today between Jew and Gentile. Now that's the interpretation and that's the proper interpretation of this passage. But I'm going to let the Holy Spirit of God take that interpretation and, and put into your hearts and your minds different applications of that. Because maybe for you tonight, Jew or Gentile just doesn't sort of drive it home, but as you begin to think with God's help about other ways that this principle can be applied to the church, go for it. Because I'm not even going to attempt to try to fill in all the gaps and different ways that this principle laid out here in Ephesians chapter 2 can be applied to us. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit do that with you. But you'll notice in verse 14 that Paul says this, to the Jew and to the Gentile, He is our peace. Not just our peace between us and God, but, but the peace that can be brought between human beings who are now part of the church, the body of Christ. And where peace then becomes so important because God wants to see in His body a unity, not division. He wants to see peace, not strife. And one of the reasons why God wants to see peace and unity exist within His church is because it is the proper atmosphere for the Spirit of God to work. In the book of James, chapter 3, verse 21, here's what James says. Righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Very importantly, what God is saying there is that the Holy Spirit wants to sow, S-O-W, righteousness in a group of people that call themselves Christians. But He will not work in a field, if you will, in an atmosphere where there's bickering and biting and strife and gossip and slander and where the Christians are just going after each other. That is an environment that the Holy, Holy Spirit of God just backs up from and says, I'm just going to let you folks just go at it because I'm not going to be a part of that. And once you all get reconciled and once you all come to peace with yourselves, then I'll come back and begin to work again. That's why. I just say this for practical application. You show me a local church where there's all kinds of fighting and division and strife going on, and I'll show you a church where when you even walk in, you, you sense a coldness. You sense that maybe the Spirit of God, the presence of God, isn't maybe quite there like it used to be where the people have just begun to sort of not follow the head of the church any longer and just sort of going after each other, and the Spirit of God just backs up and backs away. But you show me a church where they truly, there's love there, and not just love for God, but love for each other, and where they are striving to maintain the unity of the Spirit, 
and where they are striving to maintain peace so that they can provide the Holy Spirit with the kind of atmosphere that He longs to come in and inhabit and be a part of where He will work and sow righteousness. And you'll walk into a church where you can sense the presence of God, you can sense a warmth, you can sense God's power at work in that place. It's no different than in homes. You know, you can walk into a home maybe that you've never visited before, you've never been in, and, and, and that home, it automatically, it very quickly has one of two feels. That's either a home that seems very cold and uninviting, or that's a home that just seems very warm and welcoming. And that's when God defines His church and His people He wants to see that kind of church. A church where we recognize that we are brought near by the blood of Jesus and we are allowing Him, the Prince of Peace, to keep that peace and unity amongst ourselves. In fact, notice, he goes on to say, the one who made both groups. So again, in the context here, the proper interpretation isn't just peace between me individually and God, he's talking about Jew and Gentile and how God says now, if you're a Jew and you're part of the church and you're a Gentile and you're part of the church, then there's to be peace and you are not to allow your, your, your nationality, you are not to allow your background to divide you any longer. We are now brothers and sisters in Christ, in his body, and we are to be unified and we are to be at peace. In fact, notice he goes on to say, He made both groups into one. There's no longer to be two churches or two types of churches or whatever. There's to be one body, one church, where everyone can come and be a part of the body of Christ. And who destroyed the middle wall of partition, whatever separates us. That once we come into the body of Christ, there should be nothing that separates us any longer because what unites us, which is our faith in Christ, is stronger than whatever else can divide us. Again, from God's perspective. Notice the hostility when He nullified in His flesh the law of commandments in decrees. Now what He's talking about there, I think, is the Mosaic Law. Which to the Jew was sort of a something that they always, you know, hung over the Gentiles. Yeah, we've got the law. And for the Gentiles, it was this bitter pill to swallow. And he's not saying that God threw out his moral law. The moral law that is contained in the Mosaic law was there before the Mosaic law. So don't get, you know, people get hung up on that. It was as wrong to murder somebody back in the book of Genesis when Cain killed his brother Abel as it was when God said to Moses, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not murder. And so the moral law of God existed before the Ten Commandments and before the law and exists to this day. It's just as wrong to murder somebody today. And that doesn't mean we're under the law. The moral principles of God have always been there. They always will be. But that doesn't mean we're under the law. This law is the law that talked about the, the moral the, or the law code that talked about the sacrificial system and the penalties for not sacrificing. And what the Bible says is when Jesus Christ came, 
He fulfilled the sacrifices and abolished the penalties because He became our penalty. And He was the once and for all sacrifice that needed to be given. There doesn't need to be any more sacrifices. And that's what He's talking about when He says He nullified in His flesh the law of commandments in decrees. Chapter 2 of Ephesians and verse 15. He did this, notice, to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. So again, it wasn't that when God envisioned a church, it was, I've got a Jewish church and I've got a Gentile church. No. We've got one church. One true church made up of all Christians. One new man. And for those who feel like somehow when they became part of the church, they lost their identity... Jesus just simply is saying, no, I've created a new identity. And the identity now that you go with is, I'm part of the church. And that's your identity. That's my identity. And I don't get hung up on the things of my past that used to divide me from other people and the distinctions that that caused divisions and schisms and all of that. Now when I come into the church, you're my brother, you're my sister, we are one new man. We have a new identity and that's we're part of the church. And we are not to allow, whether we're Jew or Gentile, or again, however you want to apply this passage, that it has meaning to you. We are not to allow those old distinctions to divide us any longer. They're now irrelevant in Christ. Totally irrelevant. Because Jesus created one new man. Notice when Jesus came to create the church, it wasn't like he tried to clean up Judaism and make it better or tried to clean up the Gentile. No, he just created one new man that superseded anything Jewish and anything Gentile. And to reconcile, verse 16, them both in one body to God through the cross by which the hostility has been killed. Now, a couple of things we're going to do by the end of the night is we're going to go through this passage and see all the different ways and metaphors that God calls the church. For instance, in verse 15, a metaphor for the church is one new man. And that speaks to the identity that we now have, this new identity. I, whatever identity I had before Christ, my new identity is now I'm part of his body. I'm part of the church in that one new man. But there's another term he uses here, verse 16, and that's one body. You see, the Bible describes the church as a body. Because there's a lot of similarities between physical body and the spiritual body of Christ. And we're going to look at those passages tonight. One of the things that we see is a body is a living, breathing organism. And that's why we share that the church is not an organization. It, it's not like other organizations or things that you can, you can belong to and become a member to out there in the world. It's fine to be a part of those organizations, but the church is different. It is a living, breathing organism that is created by God for a distinct purpose. And that is to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing about the body. The body is, is such that It is to coordinate all the different parts to reveal life. 
And that's exactly why the church then needs to look to its head, Jesus Christ, because it is Christ we're going to see tonight that actually coordinates, shapes the body, places the different members in the body as as it is His will, so that the body has this coordinated function and effect. And so that we're not like leaning over here to the right because, you know, we've got this huge right arm and right leg and we've got this very weak left side. Jesus is going to make sure that his body is balanced in its gifts, in its abilities, in its talents, and all of that. And that's his job, not ours. Ours is just to be a part of the body and find out what our role is in the body and perform it faithfully. But we are part of the body of Christ, this one new man. Now, we begin to see, I think, how important it is, though, that the the thing that Paul's really hammering here is, guys, we've got to be unified. We've got to strive to maintain the peace that, that God wants us to have as a church and not to allow ourselves to begin to, to be divided and allow things in our lives to, to be a distinction between us and other brothers and sisters in Christ. Keep your finger there and go back to the book of Galatians, just one book to the left. I want to show you how hard it was for some to really capture this. And we're not talking about some minor player in God's program. We're talking about a major player here. We're talking about Peter, the leader of the disciples. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, I'm just going to read this very interesting passage. And then I just want to make a few comments about it. Because it goes along with this whole idea that God, when He created the church... Didn't want Jewish church, Gentile church. Didn't want a white church, black church. Didn't want a female church, a male church. Didn't want a young church and an old church. Didn't want this style of church and wanted the church to be able to get together as one. That would be a tremendous testimony and picture to the world that no matter what background, no matter what color of our skin, no matter what nationality, no matter what our past, no matter what our sex, no matter what our age or anything, that through the power of God, here's a group of people that are learning to love each other and get along and work together. That manifests the power of God, you see. So notice in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, when Cephas, another name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him, this is Paul, to his face, because he had clearly done wrong until certain people came from James. He had been eating with the Gentiles, which is what he should have done. But when they arrived, he stopped doing this and separated himself because he was afraid of those who were pro-circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also joined with him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray with them by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not behaving consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, If you, although you are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you try to force the Gentiles to live like Jews? First of all, I think this is so important. First of all, Paul felt this important enough that he couldn't let it go. And that's where wisdom comes in. Sometimes in our relationship with other people, there's certain things we just got to let go. It's not important enough to confront. It's not important enough to deal with. But there's times like this 
where what we're dealing with with somebody is important enough that we should not sweep it under the rug. We need to deal with it. And I commend Paul for having the courage, because can you imagine the courage it took for Paul to go up to Peter and basically point his finger in Peter's face and say, Peter, you're wrong? Whoa. Took a lot of courage. But secondly, you'll notice this. Paul also didn't do what a lot of us tend to do, and that is go behind Peter's back and start talking about Peter. Can you believe that, Peter, what he's doing? No. Here's what Paul did. He handled it right. He handled it the way Christ would. He handled it the way the Bible says to handle it. He went to Peter face to face and said, I need to, we need to work something out here and we're going to do it right here face to face. I'm not going to anybody else. I'm not talking to anybody else about it. I'm coming to you. Now, some of you may say, yeah, but he did it publicly. Yes, because the Bible says public sin needs to be dealt with publicly. If it's private, it needs to be kept private. If it's something just between you and somebody else, then you need to keep it just between the two of you. But you'll notice here, what was happening was happening in front of everybody. And because of the position and leadership that Peter had, it needed to be dealt with in a public forum. Because it was being out there in a public forum. And here's why Paul could not let this go. Why this could not be taken lightly. First of all, and I want to just give you four principles out of this passage tonight. First of all, the actions of Peter and others were wrongly motivated. Because you'll see what the motivation was in verse 12. He was eating with Gentiles, which is what he should have done. They were all part of the body of Christ now. They were all part of the church. God wanted Jews and Gentiles to be able to sit down together and eat together. It was going to be a great testimony about the power of God and how God could bring Jew and Gentile together. And if God couldn't bring Jew or Gentile together, then how could he bring other people together? How could he reconcile marriages? How could he put friendships and relationships back together if he can't bring Jew and Gentile together? But when this group from Jerusalem came up, Peter began to sit at the other cafeteria table at lunchtime rather than the Gentile table. And Paul saw it and everybody else saw it. And here's why, verse 12, he was afraid, verse 12, of those who were pro-circumcision. Wrongly motivated. We should never do anything within the body of Christ or the church out of fear. God never wants us to do anything because we're intimidated or we're intimidating others or we're promoting our own agenda or we're manipulating or we're doing something out of guilt or compulsion. That's not how God works. That's not how the church is to work. Christians are to be led by faith, not by fear. And God says, I've not given my people the spirit of fear, but a power of love and of sound mind. And Peter and the others needed to realize that fear is never a proper motivation. Faith is. God wants us to do what we do out of faith and trust in His Word. So that's one of the reasons why Paul needed to deal with it. It was a wrong motivation. Secondly, the actions of Peter and others set a bad example. Again, because of who Peter was and how many people would follow his lead and his example. Notice the Bible says in verse 13, And the rest of the Jews also joined with him, and even Barnabas was led astray. And if you know anything about Barnabas, he's called the son of encouragement. 
He's the guy that's always trying to bring people together and bridge the gap and, and, and be the peacemaker. And now even Barnabas is separating himself from his Gentile brothers and sisters because of the pressure and because of the bad example. God wants us within the church to set a good example, to realize that there are people watching us and how we behave and how we react and how we do things. And the higher up you get in leadership and the positions and all that we take and the ministries that we have are very important because, again, they're great privileges, but they're also great responsibilities. And people are keeping their eye on us and many of them are taking their cue from us. And we need to be careful that we're not setting a bad example within the body of Christ, but one that brings unity rather than division. So that people don't hear us in the hallways of the church gossiping and slandering and putting others down and being critical of others, but edifying others and building them up. And if we have a problem with somebody, we go to them individually and we work it out rather than getting others involved. I've been in church all my life. Been a Christian for 35 plus years. One of the things that always damages every church. And it can even start with one couple or a couple of people. And they begin to go out, and instead of dealing with it biblically, they begin to get what I call camps on their side. Reminds me a lot of the politics that goes on. Super Tuesday. So this person goes out and tries to get people to back them up and see it from their side. And then this person over here begins to get people around them and rally around them to see it from their side. And instead of really working anything out, all they've done is now even divide a greater amount of people. And God says, when I look down from heaven and I see my church, that's not what I want to see. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Third, the action of Peter and others was hypocritical. In fact, notice Paul says, And the rest of the Jews, verse 13, also joined with him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led away with them by this hypocrisy. Because all hypocrisy is, is believing one thing, but living another. And Peter knew that the right thing was Jews and Gentiles should eat together and be together and be unified in one body. But by his actions, he was betraying what he believed. And Paul called him on it, said, it's hypocrisy. You know you should be okay eating with Gentiles. You know that's what God wants you to do. You know that you should not allow this group to intimidate you in separating yourself from them. You know that you should not impose upon them these external things like circumcision and all of that that really doesn't matter to God as much as what's going on in the heart. Hypocrisy. And then finally, the actions of Peter and others were a practical denial of the gospel, which is what Paul says in verse 14. I saw that they were not behaving consistently with the truth of the gospel. Which is exactly what Paul now is expanding on in Ephesians chapter 2 for us. That part of the gospel message is that Jesus Christ came to be our peace. And not just peace between us and God, but peace between us and others. So that God could create on this earth this wonderful organism, this wonderful entity called the church where people on the outside who are not part of the church goes, the rest of the world is fighting. The rest of the world is at war. The rest of the world hates each other. The rest of the world is cruel towards each other. And you're telling me that there's a group of people that that's able to get along and unify behind a, a common set of principles and work together. 
I don't believe it. How does it happen? And that's when then it gives us as the church the wonderful opportunity to share the testimony of how that happens. It's not us. It's the power of God that's working through us. And that's what makes the church relevant to the world in which we live today. Jesus even said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have this kind of love for each other. The one thing Jesus held above everything else was, you want to know what's going to make an impact on those outside the church who don't have Christ in their life? It's going to be when they look at the church and see the church really loving each other. Not loving them yet, loving each other. Because why... What, what kind of attraction is it going to be to those outside the church to become a part of the church if they look at the church and see that the church is always killing each other and wounding each other and hurting each other? They can get that out there. But when they come to the church where it can be a place where they are edified and encouraged and comforted, that's a different story. And then if you go over to the book of 1 Corinthians... To chapter 12. This is so important. Again, talking about the body. And if you want a passage that really tears apart this whole concept of the church as a body, it's 1 Corinthians 12. And when we study sometime in the mine or in one of my Bible studies, 1 Corinthians, we'll get into this passage a little bit deeper. But I just want to share a couple of principles that are real key in being part of the body of Christ and how God wants to look down from heaven and see his church defined this way. First of all, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. For just as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so too is Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, for we were all made to drink of the one spirit. For in fact, the body is not a single member, but many. Now notice verse 15. Here's one of the problems in the church. There are some people in the church, in the body, that feel that they are inferior. I'm not as important to the church because I'm not... A pastor, or I'm not on the missions committee, or I'm not an usher, or whatever. Okay? I, again, apply that however you want to apply that. Inferiority. And here's what Paul would say to that, verse 15. If the foot says, since I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, or I'm not very important in the body, it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. And if the ear says, since I am not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. In fact, Paul goes on to say, if the whole body were an eye, what part would do the hearing? And if the whole were an ear, what part would exercise the sense of smell? But as a matter of fact, God has placed each of the members in the body just as he decided. If they were all the same member, where would the body be? So now there are many members, but one body. So part of the problem you have in the church and have all through the ages is you have people who come in and join the church and become part of the body of Christ and they spend all their time in the church feeling inferior, saying things like, I'm not an I, I'm not very important to the church. And here's what Paul wants to say to you and I tonight. Every part of Christ's body, every part of the church is important and of great value. If you're here tonight 
and you struggle with your sense of value and importance to the body of Christ, please continue to study 1 Corinthians 12 even after tonight. Because one message that you will get from that study is that God wants you to know you are just as important to the church as any other member. Equal value. And we all know that from our physical body. That's why it's such a cool illustration. I never even care about my little toe until I broke my little toe. And then all of a sudden, my little toe got a lot of attention. And it's hard to walk with a broken toe. And, and you know, you, you don't think of these members, you know, like they're anything in the body. But what if one of these little members, something happens? Oh my goodness, I had my gallbladder out a couple years ago. Gallbladder. But if you're here and you know if it goes bad, that little thing can cause a lot of discomfort. Right? Or I don't even want to tell you about the kidney stones, okay? We won't go there. But now notice the next problem in the body. So there's the problem of inferiority. I'm not as important as... So and so. Then the opposite problem on the opposite end of the scale is I'm superior because such and such. Notice verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. Nor in turn can the head say to the foot, I do not need you. On the contrary, those members that seem to be weaker are essential. And those members we consider less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and our unpresentable members are clothed with dignity. But our presentable members do not need this. Instead, God has blended together the body, giving greater honor to the lesser member, so that there may be, notice, no division in the body, but the members may have mutual concern for one another. If one member suffers, everyone suffers with it. If a member is honored, all rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and each of you is a member of it. We are not to feel inferior or superior to anyone else in the body. And there is to be mutual concern so that one person in the body isn't looked at as being more important than anybody else. Because here's what Paul says. He says, you realize that even in your own physical body, those members that are behind the scenes that we would call support members that aren't out front are actually more important to the body than those out front. Listen, my eyes are out there, right? But I can live without an eye. I can't live without lungs. Now, even though you can't see them and we wouldn't want to have our lungs hanging outside, I'm glad that God covered them up. They're more important to my life than an eye. I can live without an eye. I can live without my sight. I can live without hearing. I can live without the sense of smell. I can live without my teeth. You know, whatever. But I can't live without a heart. Can't live without lungs. Can't live without a liver or kidney or any of that. And so we might not think much of these support systems on the inside because they're not up front. They're not out there. I'm not that important. God says, yes, you are. God says, yes, you are. See, when God looks down from heaven, he wants to see a church where everyone's on equal footing. Now, that doesn't mean, as Paul has said here, that we all don't have different roles to play and that we don't have different positions in the body, in the church. 
Again, that's all part of the coordination. Because then God brings the hands and the feet and the eyes and the organs and all of that together. And as they work in concert and coordination with each other, there can be some great ministry and great work and great life manifested. And, and this body can get a lot of cool stuff done to bring honor and glory to Jesus. But if the hand wants to go over here and do their own thing and the foot wants to go over here and do it, it's pretty weird. And that's the way a lot of churches are. You got this group wanting to go over here. You got this group wanting to go over here. And that's why it's so important that the metaphor of the body is used because Christ is the head. And if the whole body is looking to the head as its cue and getting their marching orders, if you will, from the head, then the head, Jesus Christ, is going to make sure that the body is all coordinated and all working together rather than one going this way and one going that way. So don't feel inferior and don't feel superior. We're all part of the body and we are all equally important. Satan doesn't want you to feel that way. Or maybe he wants you to feel superior to someone else in the body. But God says no. No division. Equal care. One member is hurting. Everybody should be hurting. One member, something cool's happened. We all should feel good about that and rejoice with them. That's the kind of church and body of Christ that God wants to create upon this earth. Back to Ephesians for just a few moments. I love this. In verse 17 of Ephesians 2, the announcement of this peace provided by Christ has been declared in the gospel. And both groups had peace preached to them. And have now become Christians. He came and preached peace to you who were far off. I believe speaking of Gentiles. And peace to those who were near. Jews. So that through him. Notice this. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. Christ has provided access to the Father for all believers. Heaven's door has now been opened to all believers. And can I just say amen to that? That's another reason why it's all equal. Because unlike in the Old Testament, if you and I lived in the Old Testament, we had to go to the high priest and only the high priest could intercede for us. But when Christ came and that wall was broken down, the Bible now teaches that we are all priests and we all have access to God by one spirit. Through Jesus Christ. And every believer has access to God equally. Jeff Royce doesn't have some kind of, you know, access to God that the rest of you don't have. It's all equal. It's just a matter of are we availing ourselves of that access. Maybe Jeff Royce is praying a little bit more and using that access. But all of us have equal access. Again, why does God do this? So that there's no division in the body, but so that we can have peace and be equal with one another. And can I just say that I hope we never get over as Christians the wonder of having access to God anytime, anywhere, any place for anything. I don't know about you, but that's just wow. I can even go to some good friends here on earth and there are times where it's like, Jeff, I, I'm just too busy right now. I, I, I can't, I can't. I never get a busy signal with God. I never get from God, can you wait till later till I can, you know, give you some attention? 
It's never that way. With God, it's always, come on, let's talk about this. And I love what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, let's come confidently under the throne of grace that we may find grace to help in time of need. And that word confidently literally in the Greek means freedom of speech. It means when we come, we also feel as God's children like we can just lay it on the line and say whatever we want to say. And if we're mad at God, we're going to tell him. If we're frustrated with something, we're going to say it. God knows what's on our heart anyway. He knows how we're feeling. He knows what's in our mind and whatever. So let's just say it and let's just have that freedom of speech of being able to go to God and God, here it is. We have to come to a place where by faith we understand God's okay with the when we pray. It's that kind of freedom and freedom of access that God wants us to always be in wonder of. So then, verse 19 You are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. And now Paul goes from the metaphor of one new man speaking about our identity and the one body speaking about a coordinated effort of all parts to more of a, a warmer metaphor, a home, a family. And he says, you, you all realize now as part of God's church, of God's body, that we're all members of one household. That's why we call ourselves brothers and sisters. There, you know, some people, why do you all call each other brothers and sisters? Because the Bible says we are, because now we are all part of the household of God. It's a beautiful picture. At least, it's supposed to be a warm family picture. Now, we all realize, well, we won't go about that. We could say things about family, but we won't go there. Verse 20. Because you've been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Can I just say, since our church is named Cornerstone, I I do want to say this. It just speaks about the importance that everybody in the church gets their cue from the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the stone where all the other stones got their line and their angle from. And in a sense, that's what, why God uses the metaphor for Jesus as the cornerstone. Because every member of the church should be getting our angle and cue from Christ, the head of the church. The cornerstone. In Him, verse 21, the whole building... Being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And now He uses this metaphor, holy temple, which now goes from speaking about the church as a family to sort of the function of the church. That, that one of the things that God wants to see his people doing is serving and ministering, and that's what the temple was all about. It was a place of service and ministry. The priest didn't go there and plopped up their feet and did their clicker, you know, and watched TV or something. The temple was a place of continual service and ministry. And God wants to see His people be a holy temple, a distinct temple, where service and ministry is taking place that pleases Him. Not just any service and ministry, but service and ministry that pleases Him. That's why holy temple is very important. And then finally, verse 22 tonight, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Final metaphor for the church, dwelling place of God. I've got a new family. When I become a Christian, I'm part of God's household. I have a new function. 
Because now I'm part of this holy temple where ministry and service is to take place. And I also have a new friend. Because literally, dwelling place in the original language means a place where I can go and just settle down and be comfortable. And you'll notice here, Paul's not speaking about me being comfortable with God, but God being able to settle in and being comfortable within His people. Because as I said earlier on, if for instance, God walks into His house and the children of His household are... God says, see you later. Backing off. That's why even in the book of Revelation, you find Jesus Christ actually standing outside the church knocking to get in. Because the sad fact is that there are many churches, local churches, the buildings there, they have services, people come, but God's not there. And you can walk into those places and you don't sense the power and presence of God, and you don't sense the warmth of God's love in that place. You just sense sort of a cold, ritualistic feel of just people just sort of going through their religious duty and going through the motions. Because instead of looking to Jesus Christ as their head a long time ago, they sort of left God out of the picture and they started organizing things and doing what they wanted to do and going in the direction they wanted to go. And somehow here God is sort of left out of the picture. God being the perfect gentleman doesn't force himself in there. He just says, you don't want me to be in the middle of all that? I'll just step back. And that's why in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is standing at the door knocking and saying, If anyone inside the church hears my voice and wants to let me in, I'll come in. Many people use that passage in Revelation to speak about individuals inviting Jesus Christ into their life. And I'm not saying it's wrong to use that. But if you study the context of that passage, it's talking about the church. And in a sense, the sad fact is Jesus Christ has been kicked out of his own church. Because people really don't care what Jesus thinks and how he wants to define the church. They want to do their own thing. They've got their own agenda. So Jesus says, fine, I'll leave. But he says, you realize if I leave physically, the building will still be there. And you may go through your services and you may have all this activity in ministry, but I'm removing your lampstand. And I'm no longer going to bless and I'm not going to use you to influence in this world for me anymore until you repent. And the sad thing is, there's churches all over this world who physically, the edifice is standing there and they're meeting there. But God is not settled dwelling there and at home there. And God wants to see His church, and this may be the most important metaphor of the entire night, verse 22. He wants to see His church be a place where this group of people basically throws out the red carpet to God himself and says, God, we just want you to just settle down right here and just be at home right here. We want your spirit to be at home right here. Just just settle right down on us here. That's why the beautiful picture of the Spirit of God is the dove that just comes and just sort of hovers over. And we can sense whether the Spirit of God is in a person or in a place. We can sense that. And may always we strive to make sure that as part of God's church and whatever local church we're a part of, that we are striving to make it a place 
where the Spirit of God is at home and able to settle there and work there and sow there. That's what God wants to see as He looks down over the embankments of heaven and says, that's what I want my church to be like. I apologize. I went right up to the end tonight. But if you want to hang around and you have some questions to ask, I'll be glad to hang around for a while after the fact and talk to as many of you that want to talk. If you want to talk to me, I'll talk to you. Let's close in prayer. Can I just say, I know it's been a little, but thank you for hanging in there with me tonight. I just was a a message that God just burdened my heart with, and I, I thank you for sharing in it here tonight. God, first of all, I I just want to thank you for the privilege of being part of your body, the church. And I thank you that in my life, you have brought me near to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And thank you, God. And may, Lord, I live each day just so thankful that I'm part of the church. The church here that is locally expressed here in Chandler at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship and also the church all over the world of all true believers in Jesus Christ, that we are all part of that one body, that one new man, that holy temple, that household of God, that dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And God, as much as we're in awe and wonder about so many things, may we always be in awe and wonder about being part of the church and being an important and valuable member of the church. And Lord, I just want to pray finally tonight that every person here tonight, as they leave, that they would leave beginning to realize maybe a little bit more just how important and valuable they are, no matter what position or title or ministry or anything else that they're involved in. Lord, that if they make Cornerstone Christian Fellowship their church or some other church their church, that may they know that they are a valuable, important member of that local church. And that that local church would not be as strong and functioning as, as, as well as it is if they would not be a part of it. And may that encourage all of us then to continue to use the gifts, abilities, and talents, and personality, and whatever, Lord, you've blessed us with, so that we can, Lord, just see the church become all that you created the church to be. And where the world can truly sit back and say, wow, that's something I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a group of people like that. I want to be a part of a group of people who truly love each other. I want to be a part of a group of people where I truly do sense the presence and power of God when I walk into that place. God, may we continue to strive. After the things that are near and dear to your heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you. Have a great week.